theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James today, and I'm going to do so pretty quickly. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil, with the fragrant oil, excuse me. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to Simon, or he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but uh, this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, He wasn't saying anything that nobody did not know. Are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. By the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach this thought today, there's still room. There's still room. Would you help me pray one more time? Father, we love you and we bless you. We release the gift of faith in this house today. We've lifted up your name. We've come to feast upon your word. I pray that you would anoint me with the type of anointing that makes ministry effective to preach and to teach your word with relevancy and with accuracy. Let it speak to everybody in this house, including myself, God. We want to be changed by your word and by your power and by your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you clap your hands unto the Lord? High five your neighbor, tell them there's still room. You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you about one of the core themes of the gospel. Uh, When I say the gospel, I mean the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is that everybody has an opportunity to be included in the family of God. Everybody has an opportunity to be included in the family of God. This is a true story. I wish I could tell you that it weren't, but it is a true story. There's a teacher. His name is Rex Rowland. And at Inca Middle School in North Carolina, he was recently in the news because he wrote, and I quote, on a student's page or a test, he wrote, 20% off for being a loser. He wrote that on a sixth grader's assignment. So when the girl's mother complained, he said, I I was just joking. And some parents say it was the teacher's way of goofing off and goofing around and relating to the kids by using their language. But the girl's mother, Patty Clement, says it's no laughing matter. This is telling her you're a loser and you're not going anywhere, she said. 
Only one can imagine the impact those words could have had on that child at that time. And perhaps what may have been her most vulnerable season of life, adolescence, and identifying and becoming a young lady, and everything that goes along with that, I can't imagine a teacher having the unmitigated gall to say, you are a loser. Now, I don't know about you, but I do know about me. One of the worst feelings in the world is being excluded. Nobody ever wants to be excluded. I think I mentioned this last week. We were talking about IG or whatever it may be, Snapchat, whatever your social media of choice is. You kind of look and, and you see all your friends and you see, wait a second, they're all together. And you realize you're not in the photos and it's no fun realizing, hey, they're all doing something and I didn't get included. There's nothing worse than feeling excluded. At least that's how I feel oftentimes. And I had an experience uh, about a year ago where I actually saw someone who was unintentionally being excluded. And to me, it was one of the most heartbreaking experiences, one of the most formative shaping experiences in my young pastorate as far as being the senior pastor. And I'll, I won't necessarily tell you about that. Uh, there's no dots to connect, but it just made an indelible impression upon me. And it affected me in a profound way because I quickly realized that nobody wants to be excluded. Do not let people fool you. Can I tell you, everybody wants to be involved. Everybody wants to be included. Sometimes you might not be able to make it, but it is the invitation that counts. I remember growing up, uh, and many of us can remember this. I don't know if they still do this today. I would imagine they'd have to do something to this effect, but uh, I don't ball out like I used to, but I played a bunch of ball, all types of ball, soccer, football, basketball, primarily soccer and basketball. But I can remember, regardless of the sport, when you be playing, uh, just pick up out, out in the street, you know, you just kind of line up, and you kind of have captains whatever, and they'd be like, okay, give me Ryan, give me Luch. You know, and they'd be like, give me Mateo. And like, give me Joanne. Like, give me Zach. Okay. Give me Douglas. And they just go back and forth. And then, then there's one person that's kind of like, <laughs> I mean, you're like, dang, really? And I'm just like, that is the worst feeling ever, especially if, especially if you're playing ball and it's like five on five and maybe there's 11 people. And only 10 can play. And every, no matter who you are, you're just like, please, please, <laughs> please pick me. There's nothing worse than that. I can remember uh, there was a kid. Uh, his name was Mark. I won't say his last name. Uh, but his name was Mark, and we grew up, and uh, as we grew up in middle school together, uh, I was fortunate enough to be decent at, at, at athletics, um, so I didn't find myself in that position, but Mark found himself in that position often. And Mark was always on himself about how inferior he was, how bad he was, and how he did not value himself. And it's left an indelible impression upon me as I was just kind of preparing for what God laid on my heart. It, he reminded me, the Lord reminded me of Mark. Even before I knew the Lord, my heart always went out to people who were excluded. I, even before I knew God, I was kind of a misfit because... Um, you know what? I, I, I could have been homecoming king, uh, but I just didn't care about that stuff. I just wanted to go. I, I just wanted to go hang out with people who were excluded. It just didn't feel right that like everybody over is having fun or even clowning on people who just just didn't fit in, if you will. I just they just never resonated with me. I was like, it's just not cool to leave people out and to put them on blast. So I befriended Mark and Mark had like no friends. And I, I remember, I'll never forget, we were playing ball one day, and he was, I was just trying to encourage him. I was like, man, Mark, you can do it. He was like, no, I can't. I'm no good or whatever. And so he began to, uh, we began to play, and uh, I, almost, I remember feeling bad. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just making buckets, and we were just playing for fun. We weren't playing against one another. We were just shooting. He was missing, and he began to get really angry. And then as he got angrier, I remember him just kicking the ball, and then he was yelling at himself, and then he began to hit himself. 
And I'll never forget that because I'm not talking about like, you know, I'm talking about hitting himself where he was beginning to bleed. And I was like, bro, what is the problem? It helped me realize that the impact that we have when we exclude people. We need to understand that everybody wants to be included. Everybody wants to be a part. You might be cool. You want to be a part. You might not be so cool or might not think you're cool. You want to be a part. This is one reason why I have a heart for young people because I want everybody to know that everybody belongs. Not just for young people in this case, but when we're talking about the church, everybody belongs in the church. That was too weak for me. Everybody belongs in the church. I know I say it, but I never want you to get tired of it. I want it to be a part of our DNA. The young and the old belong in the church. The heterosexual and the homosexual belong in the church. The transgender belongs in the church. Let me be more specific. They belong in extraordinary church. I want people who are divorced here in extraordinary church. I want the rich here in extraordinary church. I want the poor here at extraordinary church. I want the conservative and the liberal. I want everybody to be here at extraordinary church. I want the Buddhist and the Hindu. I want the Muslim. I want the agnostic. I want the atheist. I want them all to be a part of extraordinary church and if you feel that way you ought to give God praise I want them all to experience his power I want them all to experience his grace I want them all to experience his mercy I want them all to experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ this is why we're here there is still room Can I tell you, if you've ever felt ashamed, if you've ever felt unworthy, if you've ever felt unwanted, if you've ever felt excluded, I want you to hear me today. One of the greatest truths of the gospel, one of the greatest truths about Jesus Christ is this. Jesus includes the people others reject. He includes the people that others reject. There might not be room in the other cliques. There might not be room in the other circles, but there is always room at Jesus' table. Jesus includes those that religion despises. Jesus includes those that the world overlooks. Jesus includes those that think or people who told them they weren't good enough. Jesus includes everybody to be a part of the family of God. He includes the others that people reject. And what I'm going to share with you in just a few moments, I hope to give you some context to help you understand what we just read in Luke chapter 7 to open up your understanding and just how inclusive how welcoming, how inviting the love of God is. And that's going to transcend our thoughts. It's going to transcend our prejudices. You're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there will always be room for the people to come into his presence. It's about 2,000 years ago or so, God in the flesh walking the earth. And we know he claimed to be God. People, if you, I don't want to use a really big theological word, but the incarnation. People weren't sure. They were like, uh, is he crazy? Or is he really who he says he is? Certainly, though, almost everyone would have at least thought, hear me, if they would have at least thought, if he is who he says he is, God in the flesh, then certainly he would be in favor of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were the most outwardly pious, outwardly visibly visibly religious people. They were the ones who wore the flowing robes and they prayed long, eloquent prayers. You you know, because we got some Pharisees here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They had these elaborate tassels. They had, you, you name it, they were the personification of religion, if you will. They had these very long, lengthy cleansing ceremonies. They were impressively spiritual. And surely, they would never be around somebody impure. They would never be around somebody unclean. They would always distance themselves from sinners. So surely... If God manifests in the flesh, Jesus Christ, if he's for the Pharisees, there's no way he's going to be interested in connecting with anybody else. 
So one day, somebody gets an inv- somebody decides, you know what? I'm gonna throw a party. And it's Simon. Now, Simon decides to throw this party. Now, Simon is a Pharisee. Think about this now. Simon's a Pharisee. He says, look, uh, we're going to throw this party, and man, this party going to be popping. And you know what? I'm going to do something that I know none of y'all, y'all scared to do, but I'm going to do it. Nicodemus, you had to meet with Jesus at night. But look, I'm going to tell everybody, Jesus coming to this party. We're going to find out what he's all about. And so Simon invites Jesus to the party. Now, let me just help you out. I know you're already thinking. He's like, oh, he got that party sounding good. I'm ready to go to that party. The Pharisees didn't party like a Kill Thompson party. Y'all don't want a Kill Thompson party. Praise God. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, you know, <laughs> why are you laughing, bro? I mean, <laughs> so, a Pharisee party wasn't like an Akil Thompson party. Let me tell you what a Pharisee party would look like. A Pharisee party would be ostentatiously decorated, over the top. Everything would be eloquent. It's like the aristocratic, just we're going to invite the who's who. Everybody would be coming. Now, see, you've been to those parties because you've been to one where you're like, man, this is a little too tight. I mean, can we have some life up in here? I mean, you laughing here, everybody's like, you know those parties where people drink in their pinky? Oh, praise God, okay. I'm not talking about those parties, all right, okay. So, the Pharisees would have those kind of parties, ostentatiously decorated, who's who, and it really wasn't more like a social gathering. You know, when you party, you kind of go around from one and you be like, yeah, 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 and then you, yeah, 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 and you just talk to everybody. That's not how the Pharisees would do it. The Pharisees, what they would do is they would get everybody together, all other Pharisees, and they would talk amongst themselves. Now, we didn't have, like, back then, they didn't have Facebook Live, Instagram Live, you know, they, they, IGTV. They didn't have those things. So what they would do is they would kind of have, like, a, uh, an outer, like a porch is the best way to describe it in the house. And the porch on the outside of the house, they'd have some tables. And so they would all be sitting, and they would be waxing eloquently. And as they're waxing eloquently, philosophically, theologically, they just drop, you know, let's, instead of saying things like end times, they would say, let's talk about eschatology. They say stuff like that. And you're like, what? I'm afraid to pronounce that. You know, they would say stuff like that. Instead of talking about preaching, let's talk about homiletics and hermeneutics. They would say stuff like that. And you're like, oh, man, that sounds so impressive. And that's what they would do. And they would impress one another with their wealth of knowledge. So here they would wax eloquently, and they would be out in the porch talking. And as they're talking, the people in the street would just be walking by. And they'd be like, oh, man, they sound smart. And they hear them debate, and they'd say, oh, man, I'm going to lean in a little bit. And as they're kind of leaning in the conversation, the Pharisees really feeling themselves. Well, Alex... You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. And they would just make it sound so fabulous. And people would be engaged. And there'd be this back and forth tennis match. That's what a party would look like for the Pharisees. Now, our parties, you know, we're going to have some hamburgers, some hot dogs, praise God, some curry, some roti, praise some empanadas. I need a little bit of praise God. We're going to have some fun. We're gonna have, they're not, they're not, they ain't got no music, no good food. It's really all about just being seen, who's there, so forth and so on. And so it's interesting because they invite Jesus. And now think about this. So Simon's like, I'm going to impress everybody because I invited Jesus. You ain't want to do it, Nicodemus, and you're the ruler of the Jews. I'm going to show everybody what to do. So I invite them, and they go out on the porch and they start talking. And now, it gets really interesting because when they start talking, a lot of other stuff starts happening. Now, I want you to just think about this for a moment. This is like cheap entertainment. This is first century free entertainment. And what happens is Jesus gets included, but suddenly someone else shows up who wasn't included to the party. And when this person walked in, man, it shocked everybody. 
The Pharisees had never experienced anything, and they literally hated every moment of it. Now, watch this. Look in Luke 7, 37. The Bible tells us that I want to read this to you specifically. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she saw that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, think about this for a moment, okay? A woman in town who lived a very sinful life. Now, I'm just going to help. I'm going to give you the Keel Thompson paraphrase. If you just do your research, that is code for she was a prostitute. Okay, that doesn't shock anybody. Most of y'all are like, yeah, okay, I, I knew that. Okay, all right, praise God, okay. A woman here in town lived this sinful life, and she learned that Jesus is eating at the Pharisee's house. So she comes with a jar of perfume. So imagine this, these Pharisees sitting on the porch, they're waxing eloquently, talking about all types of eschatological arguments, and instead of saying like David's covenant, they're saying things like the Davidic covenant. They're doing, trying to sound all fancy, pneumatology, all this wonderful stuff, impressing everybody out there, and suddenly this prostitute walks into the party. And these Pharisees are like, they are incensed with anger. This isn't right. She's unclean. She's impure. She's a sinner. She's one of those people we don't hang around. She's unworthy. She wasn't included. Think about that. Now, I want you to imagine for this woman, this young woman, how hurtful that would be. You know you've been places where the people don't want you. You know you showed up and you're like, <laughs> yeah, I came too early. I wish some other people was here to help me out because this is awkward. We've had those moments. For her, this is more than awkward because the Pharisees did everything publicly. They put everybody on blast. And so here they are putting her on blast without hesitation and without reservation. Now, what I'm about to share with you, I feel like if you just study scripture, here's something that I tend to do. If you study through, uh, if you study scripture through historical contextualization and through a number of other things culturally, uh, you can connect several dots that you can come to a relatively safe conclusion that this really did happen. At least what I'm about to share with you is certainly not a stretch by any means what I'm about to share with you. But I'm pretty confident, I want to be clear, this isn't in Scripture, but again, through, his, through historical contextualization, I feel like I can say that this young lady never grew up dreaming of being a prostitute. I'm pretty sure. She didn't hang out with her girls, and when they had sleepovers, talking about what they wanted to be when they were growing up, I'm pretty confident that prostitute never crossed any of their minds. But something happened to her. Something happened to her that changed Something happened to her that impacted the way she made choices. Something happened to her that changed her destiny for a moment. Something happened to her where she no longer valued who she was. Something happened to her where she did things she wasn't proud of. Something, what, 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 what was it? Maybe, I don't know, maybe she had a father who didn't love her. And wasn't there for her. Didn't appreciate her and show her that she was valuable and that she was, she was beautiful. Maybe, heaven forbid, it's worse than that. Maybe she did have a father, but he was just a biological father, but he took advantage of her. Maybe he abused her. Heaven forbid, I hope that's not the case. But maybe that's what drove her to a place where she was no longer understanding of boundaries and what was sacred and what was not. And how could somebody do this if they love me? And I guess if this is what love is, then I just kind of have this warped misunderstanding of what love is. And, and this is what I do. And, and now I, I, I hate myself for it. Or, I don't know, maybe she lost both of her parents. 
and she had siblings. And it was like, well, we, we have to, if I hear my little sister say to me one more time, I'm hungry. We don't have anything to eat. She's like, I don't, I don't have any way of making money, but so I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And maybe she just became less and less alive each time she did it so that her family could survive. But one thing I can tell you is for sure, she never grew up saying, I want to be a prostitute. One thing I can tell you for sure is she said, I never want to grow up and sell my body and be at the mercy of other men or women for that matter. What I can tell you is I'm confident she didn't want that lifestyle. But what I do know is that everywhere she went, every single day of her life, men and women abused her. Women would glare at her hatefully, scorning her every step of the way. What I do know is for sure she felt unloved. She felt very ashamed, and she would have never felt included to anywhere that would be remarkably safe, let alone anywhere that mattered. What I do know is she felt a lot like us, not good enough, guilty for where we've been, wondering how we ended up where we are today. You know those thoughts, I never thought I'd be divorced. Or how am I on the precipice of financial ruin and getting ready to file bankruptcy? I never would have thought I'm flipping through my photo album. I never would have thought my only child I'd lose contact with and they don't even want to talk to me anymore. How do we get to these places in life? I never thought I'd be here today. She felt so excluded. And what did she do? What did this woman do that really bristled the feathers of all the Pharisees? This woman walks right into the Pharisees' party, dashes straight over to Jesus, falls on her knees in a posture of worship, and then she breaks open this jar of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. Now, stay with me for a moment. Why is this so significant. This woman who walks into this party uninvited, excluded, let me tell you why this is significant. The number one reason is because this is her most valuable possession. When you study this in scripture, we'll learn that the perfume she has is actually very rare. Almost no one could afford it. And if they could, it would be about a year's worth of her salary. This was her nest egg. This was her saving. And I want you to understand this. Not only was it valuable financially, but I also want you to understand in many reasons or in many ways, it was symbolic of her future. Because her perfume was kind of like her calling card. See, it was like her business card, if you will. It was her advertisement because most everyday women, if you will, could not afford to wear perfume. And so if you're wearing perfume and a guy gets a whiff of it, he's like, oh, you're available. It was a form of saying, hey, I'm one of those who sells my body. And here's what I do with that. I want you to get this for just a moment because in one glorious single act, she simultaneously, uh, extravagantly worshiped Jesus in what was symbolically repenting of her old lifestyle, saying, I'll give away my most valuable possession, that which represents my future. What she, you you got to hear me. What was designed to be put on her, she put on him. God have mercy. I need you to get this in your spirit. The thing that she was supposed to be carrying, instead of carrying it any longer, she put it on him. The depression you think you're supposed to carry, you better put it on him. The heartache you think you're supposed to carry, you better put it on him. The confusion you think you're supposed to carry, you better put it on him. You are not designed to handle it, but put it on the one that can handle it. Put it on the master. Put it on his feet. Pour it out to him and worship unto him and bless him. You weren't designed to handle it. I wasn't designed to handle it. The stress and the heartache and the confusion and everything that somebody did to you, you can't handle it. 
it'll take you out. I know people today, hear me, I'm in the Holy Ghost. I'm here in love. There are many of you all where people have done things to you. And you're carrying those weights, you're carrying those burdens, and you don't even realize it. It's killing the relationships in your life. Because you think, if you just keep quiet about it, if you think, if you don't tell anybody, you suffocate silently. All the while, people wonder why you won't let them in. People wonder why everybody else is laughing. You can hardly smile. People are wondering, can I tell you, you're not designed to carry it. You got to put it on Jesus. I want us to lift our hands unto the Lord. Come on and begin to talk to him for just a moment. I don't know where you are, but he knows exactly where you are. The love of God is in this place, and the love of God is perfect, and it casts out fear. You don't have to be afraid. Your past doesn't have to haunt you any longer. Your past doesn't have to torment you. The things that people did to you won't remind you of how dirty or how unclean you feel. Today, you can put it on Jesus. You can be free. There's always room in his presence. Oh, if you believe that, why don't you thank him for just a moment? Literally, I get so stinking tired of people thinking they have to be perfect. You know what she said, Mateo? She said, this is the best I have, but I'm giving you everything I've got. God, I wish we would just give God everything we had. It might not be what I have, but it's the best you have. Give it to him. It might not be what Elvis has, but it's the best you have. Give it to him. If it's the best you have, give it to God with everything that you have. Don't hold back. Pour it all on him. Praise God. So I want you to think for a moment. She's worshiping him, and in that moment, she's crying. It's cost her everything. Everything. She's crying in repentance. Verse 38 says she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She couldn't stop her tears. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and she began to kiss his feet and poured the perfume on him. She couldn't stop the emotion. She was just crying. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, I have to pause here for a moment. I need you to understand how profound this is. Because in Jesus' day, this would be remarkably inappropriate. Because a Jewish woman would never, never unbind her hair in public. She's overcome with emotion. Just worshiping Jesus. And she realizes, man, I don't have a towel. She's like, oh my gosh, I just cried over his feet. And so she decides to take down her hair. And use her hair to wipe his feet. She could not contain her love and her adoration and her worship for him. But check out the Pharisees' response. I'm fascinated by this. Verse 39, the Pharisees were beside themselves. When the Pharisees who had included and invited Jesus, specifically Simon. Simon the Pharisee saw this. I want you to watch this. He said to himself, now notice He didn't say it out loud. He said this to himself. He thought in his mind, well, if if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. In other words, Simon's thinking, the fact that Jesus is allowing this prostitute to touch him proves he's not the Messiah. Then Jesus tells Simon, yeah, I just read your mind. God have mercy. (laughs) That's what he does. And he says, (laughs) Simon, Simon, you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you, Simon, didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, see her? She hasn't ceased 
to kiss my feet from the moment I walked in. Simon, you didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, yes, I tell you, yes, she is a sinner. Her sins are many. You know her business, and all of the community knows her business. But as great as her love has shown for us, I want you to know her sins have been forgiven. Jesus looks at this woman, and he says, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Your sins are forgiven. In other words, you are whole. In other words, you are new. In other words, you are white as snow. I need you to understand, once Jesus forgives you, once Jesus pardons you, it makes no difference what everybody else thinks about you. This is why I love extravagant worshipers. Let me just pause here for a moment and tell you that a worshiper will always be misunderstood. Somebody that's always lifting their hands and somebody that's always clapping, somebody that can't sit down, somebody that's got to run, somebody that's going to jump. There's going to always be somebody that's looking at you talking about something. It don't take all that. The devil is a liar. They don't know where you've been. They don't know what God pulled you out of. They don't know your heartache. They don't know your depression. They don't know how bankrupt you were. But when you opened up your mouth and you called on the name of Jesus Christ, he came and you were able to reach out and touch him. He's the one that forgave you. He's the one that cleansed you. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, everything was washed away. You will give him praise. I want you to think about that for a moment because everybody's attention is on the worshiper. Everybody's attention is on the worshiper and not on Jesus Christ. But if we would get our eyes off of everybody else and get our eyes on the one who died for us all, we would not be worried about everybody else. We'd pour out everything that we have at his feet because we remember when I touched him, When I touched him, see everybody else, when they saw me, they said unclean, unclean. They got away. But when I saw him, I touched him. And he pardoned me. When everybody else wanted nothing to do with me. And hear me, hear me. When everybody else wanted to talk about me and accuse me and degrade me and defame me and, de- and harm me and disfigure me. Jesus said, if you read it in Mark, let her alone. What has she done to you? What she is doing is a good work unto me. She's preparing for me for my burial. You know what? You need to understand that God will always defend a worshiper. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to look at everybody else and throw them in his shade. You can keep your eyes on him and bless him with everything that you have because he will silence your haters. He will silence your critics. He will silence the accusers in your life. Let God defend you and you just give God the glory in your life. You pour out all the love you have. You pour out all the worship you have. You let the tears flow because if it had not been for him, where would I be? Somebody love him in this place. 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 Somebody thank him in this place. Somebody bless him in this place. Somebody reach out and cry out to him and say thank you. Somebody give him worship in this place. Somebody open up your mouth and tell him you're grateful. Oh, think about it. Think about it for a moment. Why? 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 Why does this woman run across town when she heard Jesus was at this party? Why does she run past all the men that knew her or knew of her? Perhaps even provoked her or propositioned her or maybe even mocked her. Why would she have gone through the porch where the women were there talking to their kids? Get away from that woman. No, no, no. She smells. Stay away from her. Why would she have gone into the house of the Pharisee who wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as her? Why would she have ignored every other person in the room and gone straight for Jesus? 
we need to get a lesson in this. I can't completely answer that question, but I believe the text, again, through historical contextualization and reading all of what's happening here in Scripture, I believe she heard him preach. I believe she heard of his indescribable mercy and grace. She must have certainly, if not seen on an eyewitness account of a miracle, she certainly heard about it. She sensed his divine nature. In fact, let me tell you what I believe happened. I believe without a doubt she knew Jesus was in town. She probably heard him preach. And my guess is probably that day, because of the urgency of her nature to break into the party, she knew that Jesus was there. And it was that day she heard a message. She heard a message that was preached. Now, hear me, hear me. In the very same chapter, Luke tells us on that day, the disciples of John the Baptist come. And they ask questions. Okay, Jesus, John wants to know these questions. If you parallel the synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, if you look at this very same story, it talks about when John the, John the Baptist's disciples, they come asking questions. And on that very day, which would have been the day that Jesus comes to this party of the house of the Pharisees, he gives a message. And I'm going to summarize that message. It's really simple. It's this. That perhaps, and this woman perhaps heard this message on this day. And it's a message that no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter where you think you're going, no matter what's happened to you, you there is still room. There is room for you to be included in God's family. So Jesus says, come to me. Everybody, come, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. She heard about this. She could feel the love. She had been carrying a burden that was literally killing her. Come to me, those who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come to me, those who are burdened by shame. Come to me, those who are tired of trying and never living up to their own standards, much less living up near anyone else's. God, heaven forbid, God's standards. Come to me, those who've been rejected again and again and again by people. Come to me, those who religion turned away. Come to me, of those who, you, who don't have the right clothes, who don't come to church properly dressed. Come to me, who those who think you don't know the love of God. Come to me. Come to me when you feel like you've got nothing left. Come to me when you've lost all hope. Come to me when everything in you feels desperate and you don't know if you can go on. Jesus says, come to me when you're weary. Come to me when you're overwhelmed, and I will give you a heavenly rest. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. In other words, he's saying you're included. You're welcome in God's family. I want you to understand this. I want you to notice that pointing out this woman's sins didn't lead her out of a lifestyle of sin. Pointing out this woman's sins did not lead her to a lifestyle out of sin. Did you catch that? Judging her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her for what she did didn't set her free from her painful past. What was it that changed her? It's the fact that Jesus allowed her to be a part. Can I tell you, there's always room for people to experience his grace and his mercy. There's always room for people to experience his goodness and his love. There's always room for people to experience his freedom because you have to understand this. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for those who were sick. He didn't come for the self-proclaimed righteous. He came for the hurting. He came for the broken. He came for the repentant sinners. And Jesus said, you're included. Come now. Come now. Come quickly. Come that you might know my grace. So hear me. It doesn't matter who you are. If you've ever felt unwanted. If you've ever felt unloved. Maybe you failed. Maybe you've doubted God or you questioned God. Can I tell you, 
there's still room. Perhaps you feel like you've let God down and you've tried and you failed and you tried and you failed. You've tried and you failed. There's still room. Come to me if you feel ashamed. Musicians can come. Come to me if you feel unworthy. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hang-ups. Come to me with your baggage. Come to me with your past. Come to me with those things that other people don't like and judge. Just come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will cover you. Come to me and I will clothe you. See, we need to never forget that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Heaven forbid you think this makes me look like a Christian. Heaven forbid you think it's in what I have that makes me look like a believer. This is why I'm so passionate about, frankly, just a casual attire. Because when people come, I don't want them thinking. I don't belong here. I don't want people thinking, I got to get dressed up to come into his presence. No, 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 no. The only thing I do want you to do, I do want you to have clothes on. But I want you to come as you are. I want you to come like me. Come into his presence. Let's pursue him together. I don't want you distracted about things that don't matter. The only thing that matters is we are all level at the cross. Black, white, yellow, red, and brown, it makes no difference. We are all welcome at the cross. As a matter of fact, the only reason we're here today is because of the cross. It's because of the cross. This message has gone in a different direction than I would have anticipated what I felt. Because I originally penned this message as the second installment for our e-groups because I want everybody to be a part of community. And I was talking about how there's always room and how we all fit. And what's interesting is this. Jesus is throwing a party. He tells a story. And uh, he says, invite people, invite people. And people have excuses. They're like, man, I, I got some land. I have some oxen. I, I'm married. And uh, so they come back. God comes back and says, Master, there's still room. He says, matter of fact, these guys are too busy. And uh, he said, okay, they don't want to come. He said, go out and invite the blind. Go out and invite the lame. Go out and invite the cripple. See, you have to understand what he was saying. If people had those conditions, if they were blind, if they were lame, if they were crippled, if they were deaf, people thought that was because of a sin in their life. And so Jesus says, go and get the people that nobody wants and bring them into my house because there's room. And you know what's crazy? He's like, hey, master, I've gone and I've gathered and there's still room. There's still room. There's still room. 
Can I tell you, as long as there's one maimed, as long as there's one blind, as long as there's one deaf, as long as there's one hurting soul out there who is yet to experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ, I will go that they might come and that his house might be full. Jesus, you know what he says? He says, Tito, go show him my love. Go show that lame person my love because when they see it, they'll come. He says, Mateo, go show that blind person my grace because when they see my grace, they'll come. Karen, go show that deaf person my mercy because when they feel my mercy, they'll come. Delvis, go show that broken family who has no hope what hope is because when they see the hope that comes from me, they'll come. Karen, Ryan, Zach, we have to go show the love of God so that they'll come. You know what? You know why we think there's room or there's not enough room? Because we've got the focus off of ourselves or we've got the focus off of others and on ourselves. But when we keep our focus on others, well, no, there's still room. As a matter of fact, I feel such an urgency in the Holy Ghost. There's room. Somebody's trying to fight and get through. I'm reaching for you today. I am going to avoid what I normally do because there is somebody who feels like you can't get through. You've been trying to get through. And there have been Pharisees and Sadducees in the religious world blocking you. But the Lord has just parted the crowd. There is nobody between you and him right now. The Holy Ghost is reaching. The Holy Ghost is reaching. Come on, would you lift your hands? Would you stand? He's calling somebody. Somebody needs to come to this altar. Somebody needs to come to this altar. Because there's room. There's still room. There's still room. There's still room. Come on, Jesus is saying those that everyone else rejects are still invited, are still included. Come on, those who feel broken in their spirit, those who feel wounded in their hearts, I'm telling you, come because his love, his grace, his mercy, let it draw you. There's still room. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.